Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a man manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called to him and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order, because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig, di dig ditches, and I am too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, How much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, Take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, Take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly possession, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you reading the word this morning. Good morning to everybody. What a privilege it is to meet together for worship and time centered around God's word. So glad you're here this morning to, to open the word with me as we see what God wants to say to us. If you've just joined us, we're in a series of messages, and this is number five uh, called Taking Back My Life. Uh, uh, we've been tackling our worries, that was the first message, tackling our busyness, uh, tackling uh, our schedules, uh, tackling our feelings of being insignificant, and then tackling our ingratitude, and this morning, uh, tackling our financial angst. Tackling our financial angst. Uh, there's a lot of financial angst these days uh, in many of our homes. And I don't need to tell you that. Uh, you may be experiencing it yourself these days. Our slowed down economy has impacted some. You might be job hunting uh, these days. And it's tough to job hunt in this market. And uh, you may have had unexpected expenses in the last few months. The refrigerator went. The car went. Oh, at a time like this. And, and at the end of the month, there's just not enough. 
to supply all the needs. And so our hearts go to you if you're in that situation today. It's a few years old now, but it's probably still right on target. Sun Life Canada Financial did a health-related survey in which 72% of participants said they were experiencing excessive levels of anxiety. The insurer said four years of weak economic growth have driven stress levels higher, particularly among young adults who are having trouble finding jobs uh, where they are underemployed or finding jobs, period. The Canadian Institute of Chartered Accountants uh, issued a survey in which 61% of respondents admitted to being somewhat worried about money. Financial angst is one of the huge stressors in families and particularly between spouses. Uh, that isn't going to surprise you because if, if we aren't together in our homes, in our homes on how to manage money, it causes some deep feelings of resentment. You bought what? You, you spent our money there? I'd like you to come with me to the passage of scripture that was read uh, by Scott, Luke 16, and it's quite a passage of scripture, isn't it? <laughs> Did it set you just a little bit on edge as you heard it read out loud this morning? I mean, it reads like a gangster story. It, it features a shady kind of guy behaving in questionable ways. And it's in the Bible? What? That's in the Bible? Did you ever tell a negative story to your kids just to get them to say, oh no, I would never want to behave in that way? Well, this is one of those lessons. Jesus is teaching by negative example. So relax a little bit with it. Don't, don't, get, don't get uptight with it. Just don't miss the teaching because it feels a little bit off the beaten track of a Jesus story. It's a little different. And you know, you can learn from lots of different experiences. We have a lot of business people here today. You, you guys and gals, you learn from going to other corporate entities and you, you say, oh, wow, we could pick up that idea from, from these folks. And, and, and some of you go to another uh, company and you say, well, I would never do it that way. And, and I think I can speak for Pastor Norman myself. When we go to another church, it's really hard to, to keep the, the pastor's hat on or the preacher's hat on or whatever because we evaluate everything. And uh, we say, I'm not going to do that, but, but we do. And we, we look at a church and we say, oh my, we could learn from that. There's a great idea there. And then sometimes there's a cringe factor and we say, ooh, we wouldn't want to do that. So we, we all learn from just about anything. You learn from the positive, you learn from the negative, so, and just, just so you know here, let's define the target audience of this kind of off-the-charts parable. Verse 14. I hope you have your Bible with you, and we'll have some of the Scripture on the screen, but I'll stay close to the Scripture this morning. Verse 14. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. So it's a message... Uh, pretty clearly directed at the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Jesus knew that the Pharisees loved money. He knew their arrogance. He knew their self-righteous behavior. 
So just look, take a look with me at Luke 16. This is the story of a wealthy guy who hires a professional that we might label a money manager. And the money manager gets to manage someone else's hard-earned cash. How would you like to have that responsibility to manage somebody else's money? I personally say, no thanks. Uh, it's, that's, it's hard enough to manage my own money, nevertheless manage somebody else's money. You have to know what you're doing. Well, in time, the rumor started flying of some fraud in the ranks. And the announcement was made that the manager was in his final days. And the, the, the wealthy owner wanted him to hand over the books and write up a full accounting of all of the losses. Well, the implication of that is that the money manage, manager will have to deal with the losses that he incurred. And just maybe this thing's going to court. The manager is pretty quick on the draw. And uh, he assesses his options, and he knows that if the wealthy man looks at the books, he will see the waste and the corruption. But the boss doesn't really know how bad the story is yet. He hasn't seen the books. And, uh, and, and the manager knows, just the kind of guy this, this owner is, that he's not going to be lenient to him. He's quite certain of that. The storm is going to happen. The wind is going to blow. So he boards up the place in light of the pending storm. That is, he devises a plan that would minimize the damage to the employer's account. We call it cooking the books. In the process of cooking the books, he, he would also make some pretty good friends in the community because he was about to cut them a deal. And it never hurts to have some friends in the community or in your family when you are going to be out of work. So whether you like it or not, this guy has some savvy. He brought in the first client and cut him a great deal. Must have had some special connection to this guy because he reduced his bill by, you can calculate it, 50%. I mean, that's better than any Costco deal any day of the week. 50%. So he must have had a good connection with that guy. And the next client, maybe he didn't have quite as good a connection because he knocked the bill down by 20%. And the scripture goes on to say he brought in one client after another. He lined them all up and, and he, he cut a deal with them. So the unscrupulous manager applied the first rule of politics. Always be generous with other people's money. Yeah, it took a little while, took a little while, took a little while. Always be generous with other people's money. Oh, and did you catch the detail? He had each client come in, and they had a discussion. And the manager sized up his clients, figured out what he could get out of them, and then he had, the, had them alter the, the bill in their own handwriting. Kind of cool and very calculating. I mean, this guy is no dummy. He had them sign off. Here, you sign here that this is the arrangement we made. He had them take the pen, sign it off. Now, please note, even the wealthy guy, and we don't know what kind of character he was, even the rich guy couldn't help but admire his manager. Uh, I mean, it was brilliant. 
Now, it's important that we say up front that Jesus is not praising the guy's dishonesty, the manager guy's. He's praising shrewdness. He's praising shrewdness. So just hold on to that for a moment. Now, some have suggested that the wealthy guy was probably not much different from the manager because he delighted in the manager's unscrupulous dealings. And maybe that's true. But if you're just judging this whole scenario from a world perspective, or maybe from a worldly perspective, you got to admit, it's pretty clever. It's pretty clever. What was the shrewd manager doing? He was trying to deal with the angst that was collecting in his heart. He saw the implications that was coming his way from poor money management. So let me give you a few ways to increase your financial angst. Not that you want to, but here's the financial pressure and here's how it develops in many scenarios. And so it's good to be aware of it. Now just a reminder of context again, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and they love money. And he's talking to people who just really, really, that's what life is about, to love money. So that's one of the reasons the story is there for us and to remind us of the value of good money management. Sometimes our financial angst can be prevented. And I think our Lord is trying to help us see that. So three ways that financial angst is increased. Number one, the waste factor. Financial angst comes when we waste the resources that have been given to us. The scripture says, the first verse, one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Interesting, it's the same word that Jesus used just in the previous chapter, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, where you know the son left home, he went out, and he squandered, or it's the word wasted, his money in wild living. He squandered it or he wasted it. It's easy to squander, especially if we have the sense well, that this is mine to spend. Hey, I work for it. I can spend it. If I hold the perspective, though, that this is actually God's money, well, it changes everything. Or if at the end of the day, Lord, there's something left over for you, well, you can have it. But I'm, I'm doing my thing first, and if there's anything left over, I'm glad I would give it to anybody, and I'll certainly give it to you, Father. The waste factor. It has a lot of implications. Squandering our, dis our resources to make unwise decisions. I mean, maybe it's the choice between deluxe and standard. I think I need the deluxe. What features does that phone have? Wow, it's got all those features. I need all of those features. I only use a quarter of them, but I need them all. Do I really? The waste of our lives can increase our angst. Or maybe we just felt down, down a little bit. We just felt down, so we went to the store. I want to feel better, so let me buy something. The waste factor. Secondly, the love factor increases financial angst. The Pharisees loved their money. Now, as you know, there's nothing wrong with money. Money is absolutely neutral. It's a tool, just a tool. An amazing tool. It's neutral. 
It has no positive, no negative to it. It's just a tool. And it's an amazing tool when used in the right way. But isn't this a challenging thought in verse 13 of this same chapter? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both, both God and money. And you could put a little underline under the word serve. You can't give your heart to God and love him with all that you have and at the same time give your heart to money and love it with all you have. It's just impossible. You can't go in two directions. Ever try to work for two bosses? Ever, did you ever come into a situation where you had two bosses? I mean, it will drive you crazy. I mean, I just got direction from one boss, and the other boss comes along and says, no, I want you doing this. You can't go two directions and have any peace in your life. Anybody who works for two bosses must just kind of tiptoe and, and wonder, now where am I supposed to be? The question is, is God going to be number one? Or is making a lot of money number one in my life? Now, if God blesses you with money, then, then you have another challenge. You have to determine how well you can be trusted with that money. Will you love it? Will you hoard it? Will you squander it? Or will you say, hmm, but this is not mine. How can I use it to honor you, Lord? So the question of loving money is huge. Financial angst comes when you love money and you miss the big picture of God giving you a resource for kingdom purposes. And then thirdly, the trust factor increases financial angst. Some people start to trust their money. Some people start to trust their money. The manager knew that he was in trouble with the wealthy owner and he said, what am I going to do? The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. He's getting a little anxious. Now what? I'm, I'm about to lose my job. We're a little anxious in our province. So heavily dependent on the, on the oil sector. Trying hard in our province to diversify. And, but when oil is down, we're all down. And, and full of angst. If you put your, all your marbles in the security of money, you will wake up to a day when the money is gone. Or the money is devalued, like in Germany years ago. They had wheelbarrows full of money, but it, it, was, it was of no value. Or as in Brazil in these last years. The world's system has changed and the money loses its value. And you say with this guy, now what? Likewise, if you put your security in your appearance, you will one day wake up to say, ha, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm not as attractive as I used to be. And where did all those wrinkles just start to come from? If you put your security in anything other than God, 
the security can shift dramatically. Hurricane Matthew can come and blow on your house and knock it in, and it can change your life. And our hearts go out to the many, especially in Haiti these days, who have suffered such huge loss. And anything other than the security of God will never satisfy you. You might think you can trust something else, but then one day you realize, hey, I can't trust this. I'm on shaky ground. But you can always be secure in the love of God. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. And this is, this is a, a phrase that's worth putting in our hearts because we forget this. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Your self-worth, we sang about it this morning, our identity, uh, and having a father such as we do, a good, good father. Your identity as a follower of Jesus is always firm and secure because of who God is. He never changes and his love never changes. And his love for you is constant. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here are some ways in which we can increase our financial waste, our angst. The waste factor, the love factor, and the trust factor. Wasting money, loving money, and putting our trust in money. But of course what we're most interested in is how can we lower our financial angst. So here are a few ways to decrease our angst. Number one, settle the ownership issue as quickly as you can. Settle the ownership issue. The parable is quite clear from the very beginning that the rich owner hired a manager. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. Now here's a good reminder for, for me and, and maybe for you that it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. We are all managers of what has been given to us. God just loans it out for a time that he gives you on this planet. It was loaned out before you were here, and after you die, someone else will manage it. Uh, so you just have a short time to manage it. And oh, do I forget that. We just have a short time to manage it. You get to use it while you're alive. But you can't keep it. It has a time limit on it. Time sensitive. We should, we should put that on our, uh, on our lives. Time sensitive. If you can just see what you have as on loan, it would automatically begin to decrease the angst level. It doesn't really matter at all how, how much you end up with. It will not matter one bit how much you end up with because it's just a loner all the way. In the end, you have to turn it all in. You have to hand it all in. So just enjoy what you have. And so I just say, when you go out to the parking lot after the service is over, give your tire a good kick and just say, thank you, God, that's your car. What a great car you gave to me. That's a great car. It's your car. It's my car. And when you go home, just touch your, put your hand on the wall and say, thank you, God, what a great home you gave to, to us. And, and that's your home, and, and you just allow us the privilege to live in it. And when you go to sleep, just say, I just love sleeping on your bed, God. Boy, you gave us a comfortable bed. Thank you for that bed. And all these things 
your family, your bank account, your health. I mean, it all belongs to God. So take some of the worry out of your life. Acknowledge who really owns it all. It will make a difference. And when your car breaks down, you can just say, what do you want to do about your car, God? That's your car, God. And he'll probably smile at you and say, oh, we'll get this thing fixed, son. Well, I got a way. You, you, just, you just ask me. I got a way. We'll get this thing fixed. And uh, so we're just the caretakers of God's resources. We're the stewards. And, oh, it means all the resources. I mean, not just your money. Uh, that's just one part of it. What about your body? What about caring for your body? What about the food you eat? What about the mind and the stuff you put in your mind? What about your emotions? What about your relationships? And what about all those gifts and talents that he's given you? Whatever God has given me as gifts to serve him, I must now take that seriously. I can no longer just say, I don't have to employ them for God. I mean, they're mine. No, they're not. No, they're not. Actually, I'm just a manager. And I live under the direction of the owner of my life. Wow. That will lower the angst in your life. Secondly, understand that God is issuing an exam when you earn money. You say, what? Understand that God is issuing an exam when you earn money. I don't understand. Well, God is testing you with your handling of money. Did you know that? Every Sunday morning after the worship team practices, then the, the, the sound people say, check your mic, check your mic, mic check, one, two, mic check, one, two. And we want to do that before everybody comes in because we won't, don't want to do that in front of you and take your time we want to make sure it's ready. It's a mic test. It's a mic, it's a mic check. And God gives us a little check as well, a little test. In fact, all of life is a test. He wants to know if he can trust us. Because he has far bigger stuff to give us. And he wants to know if you're ready. Can he trust you with more? So he most often does it with our finances. He wants to know if he can trust us with spiritual power and authority. But one of the prime ways he, he tests us is in the area of our, of our finances. And he's always asking the question of trustworthiness. Can I trust this person with finances? Will this person be faithful? If so, then I can trust them in other areas as well. Will Ken waste the resources or will he invest them for the kingdom? I love what Randy Elkhorn writes. And I forget his book, Money, Love, Possessions, something like that. He says, when you're on a long airplane flight, you naturally talk to people and socialize. That's what you do on a plane, right? You talk and 
sometimes you hope people don't talk to you because you like to read or whatever. And then you are, sometimes you sleep. Or you, you maybe talk about where you're going and it's going to be so exciting when you get there. But he, he writes, what would you think if a passenger by the window seat started hanging curtains over the window and taped photographs to the seat in front of him and started to paint murals and put up wall hangings? You would think, hey, that's ridiculous. This is just a short trip. Once we get to the destination, none of that will ma matter. You'll have to take all that down. We're going to be there in a little while. You see, you can think of your life in terms of a dot, just a little dot, and a line. And our present life is like a dot. It begins, it ends, it's very brief. However, from the dot, a line extends that goes on forever. And that line is eternity, where we will be with the Lord forever. I, yesterday I was over at the gym, and a guy comes running up to me, a guy that I knew, and he said, hey, did you hear, did you hear about the Hubble's report? I said, oh, what happened? What's going on? He said, oh, I thought you'd like to know. He said, they have discovered that there are now trillions of unknown galaxies. Before they thought maybe 100 billion, 200 billion, but now it's 10 times, 20 times as many uh, galaxies uh, in the universe. I mean, there just seems to, there's no end. And, and he's just so excited about this. So I had to Google it and I Googled it this morning and everything he was saying is true. You can Google it too. Man, trillions of galaxies in the universe. <coughs> and here we are, just a little dot which is our existence, and it's a test while we live in this little dot as we get ready for eternity. <coughs> Excuse me. How will you live out the dot? It's not about dedicating everything we, we have to ourselves for the short time we have on this earth. God gives us a test to see how we will spend our time and our resources and our energy. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Don't pile up treasures here on earth. Don't hoard it. Instead, store your treasures in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Wherever you want your heart to be, Put your money in it, and you'll get interested in it. For sure, the moment you invest in something, put something into put money into something, you get interest in it. A long time ago, I thought I would make an investment in the market because I'd never done that before. So I was a little nervous to make my very first investment. And once I made the investment, I probably did what you do. I checked the paper every day to see how it was doing. I just checked it and checked it every day of the week. I mean, it just kind of became an obsession to check it, to see, oh, I'm up two pennies, up, oh, I'm down a penny. And I didn't know anything about Canadian oil sands before, but now suddenly I'm very interested in Canadian oil sands. I'm glad I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Where you place your treasure, there you will find your heart. How would you like to be the son or daughter of Warren Buffett? 
or Bill and Melinda Gates? What if Bill and Melinda came to their children and said, One day I want to give you everything I've got. You're going to inherit it all. But I'm not going to give it all to you right now. In fact, I'm going to give you just a little bit right now. Just a tiny little bit. And I'm going to see how well you handle it. And if you manage it well, I'm going to give it all to you. Precisely the point that Jesus is making. Look at verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And that's his point. Thirdly, making good decisions with money. Jesus says in verse 9, here's the lesson, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. The shrewd manager got a few things right, things that we can learn from. First, he looked down the road and he evaluated his situation. He asked, what am I going to do about my financial future? And a wise person looks down the road and he does some good financial planning. If you start a retirement savings plan when you're 24, rather than at age 40, at retirement, the bottom line difference is absolutely huge. If you don't start saving until you're 60 years old, you can't go back and compensate for 40 years of not planning. There just is some planning that's needed. How does God want us to look ahead? Well, he wants us to honor him. That's the first thing he wants us to do with our money, to honor him. And then he wants us to save some money. He wants us to put away some money for the future. And then thirdly, he wants us to pay our bills. He wants us to keep current with the things that are coming onto our plate. So some people have called it the 10-10-80 uh, formula. 10% to God, 10% to savings, and then the rest to pay our bills. Now some have been blessed, blessed and blessed, and they see the blessing of God, and they look at their earnings and they give much more than 10% because they can and because they want to. And they don't need 80% to live on anymore. It doesn't take that much anymore. And they're all about investing in the kingdom. And that's what God wants. The shrewd manager also acted quickly. Did you notice that? I mean, he didn't waste any time. He got to, to work. He said, I've got to do something about this. Because the owner is going to call for an accounting. So he acted very quickly. He got things in order. And there are things for us to get in order. We need to be sure that we have a will. Do you have a will? Is your will in order? That seems to be one of the things that all of us procrastinate on. Ensure that your will is in order. Ensure that the care of your children is in order if they are young and both mom and dad are taken. Do you have a plan? 
Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home or to heaven. I mean, what is scripture? The shrewd manager made friends to take care of himself when he lost his job. He was pretty shrewd. He was thinking ahead. But Jesus turns that around and he says, we can invest our money in building relationships for the kingdom. And it will make a forever difference in people's lives now and through eternity. And I know I'm talking to the choir for many of you. Some of you have been doing that for a lifetime. You've been doing that for a lifetime. You've been investing in people. You've seen a need and you've responded to it. You have helped a Syrian refugee couple. You have built a building that has cost us $6.2 million in the middle of Tuilerga town and it's nearly paid for and many people today are hearing the good news of Christ but I know that many of you sacrificed greatly in order to make this happen. And just imagine one day arriving in heaven to the cheers of people who are already there because of your investment. They will say, we're here because you spent some money to, to help us hear the good news of God's love. Yes, money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad, but we can use it for investment in the kingdom. And why not? Because we can't take it with us. At the end of the day, you empty your pockets you cannot take it with you. So why not invest in people who will be in heaven with us? Our time is gone. I, I, but let me make sure that I communicate one last principle. And it brings us back to verse 10. And it says this, If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. And here's what I believe. If you just offer what you have to the Lord today, just today and in the days ahead, if you offer what you have to the Lord, he will bless it and increase it, like the little boy with the two fish and five loaves. And Jesus just took that and he blessed it and he multiplied it. So if you just offer a little bit of influence for God and for good, if you just offer what you have, God will increase your influence. If you just offer your resources to the Lord and are generous, then God will come along and he'll bless that and he will increase your trust and your resources. Jesus said to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have abundance. Friends, it's not prosperity gospel. It's a principle of harvest. Put some seed in the ground and out comes a bigger harvest. It's an agricultural reality. Well, some say, I will, I will. When I have significant dollars, I will, I will tithe. But I don't have much now, so it's not really worth it. No, that's the time to start. Because if you don't start now, you won't. You start tithing when you're poor. That's how you get out of the angst of financing, 
of finances. You start managing well what God has given you today. And then God says, hey, I can trust her with more. Hey, I can trust him with more. So some ways to increase financial angst and some ways to lower financial angst. To lower, settle the ownership issue. Settle the ownership issue. Secondly, understand that God is handing you an exam when he gives you money. Understand that God is handing you an exam. It's, it's a trust thing. And thirdly, make good decisions with money, especially kingdom decisions. And when you're faithful with what you have, God will add and multiply your influence and your ability to impact other lives for the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? Let's trust him with that. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, uh, you remind us again today that you are the owner, that you are the owner. But what a wonderful owner you are, a gracious, kind father, a good, good father, as we sang today. And you have entrusted us with much in so many different ways. Forgive us where we say, well, I don't have much. Lord, you have entrusted us with so much. Sometimes our world teaches us the very opposite. Uh, we, we, we're taught that we own it all, it's ours. And Lord, we just apologize today for our selfishness. Forgive us. Give us freedom in this area. Lord, for, for those in pain these days, uh, sorting through uh, uh, how to get back on their feet again, I ask your grace and strength, and I ask for st steps of victory. I ask for perspective. And, Lord, that, that in all that we do, uh, we would be honoring to you. We dedicate ourselves anew to you. We give you who we are in Jesus' name.